I love looking out and seeing a full room. It does my heart good. If you're new or newer, we have been preaching through the book of Genesis, and I invite you to join us in Genesis chapter 21 this morning. Genesis 21. As I was reading the text for this week and, and just mulling it over in my mind and thinking through it, I, I thought of the words of Jesus that I want to read for you in Matthew chapter 10. And these words are just kind of like a punch in the face. Have you ever been punched in the face by Scripture? These words are just kind of like a punch in the face from Scripture. And, and Jesus said this. He was talking to his disciples, and he said this. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the middle of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent of do- as doves. I hate that. I mean, honestly, wouldn't it be great if we went out into a world that absolutely loved Jesus and loved us because we love Jesus? But that's not the reality, is it? It's not the reality at all. In fact, sometimes I feel like more than just a sheep with the wolves, I feel like I'm a sheep with wolves and coyotes and everything else. You ever feel that way? And, and so when we come this morning to our text... We need to remember that the world is not a friend to those who are friends of Jesus. The world is not a friend to those who are the friend of God. And yet, too often, I find myself, rather than going out as a sheep, I try to go out as a dog. Everybody everybody want to go out as a dog? I'm going to bark at you, and if you get too close to me, I'm going to snap at you, And, and yet... Jesus didn't send us out to be dogs, or as the kids say, dog. (laughs) He didn't send us out to, to do that. He sent us out to be sheep. And we try to keep people away, and we don't act wise, and we don't act innocent. That idea of being wise is to act prudently in the world that we live in today, and the idea of being innocent is to be you know, free from guilt and giving the world occasion to, to point out our guilt. I don't know about you, but I give the world plenty of times to point out my guilt. Anybody else? Abraham, in his life as a wanderer, is strikingly similar to, to what we just even talked about here. When we saw Abraham in chapter 20, before we saw the birth of Isaac, remember when we left him, he had totally not lived up to the call of being in the world. He had totally blown it. He had blown it with Abimelech, remember? He, he went, and, and, and Abimelech is this powerful king in Philistine territory, and, and when they got there, Abraham was afraid again. Even though God has been faithful through all his life and all these things are true. And when he got into that situation, he reverted back to the old way and he said to Sarah, what? Okay, we're going to tell Abimelech that you're my sister because we're not going to, you know, we're not going to have to deal with the problems that come with us being married and him wanting to kill me and all that stuff. Right? Is it fair to say that Abraham and Sarah did not represent God well? Is that, a fair, is that a fair statement? Is it fair to say that you and I don't always represent the Lord well in the world that we live in? Yeah. And because God is faithful, he intervened, 
And now we come to the second half of chapter 21, and some time has intervened. Several years have intervened. Isaac's been born. Isaac has been weaned. And, and, and now Abraham is, is, is back to the business of, of being this, this herdsman that he is. And he's going to have an interaction with Abimelech again. And that's where we come in Genesis chapter 21. And we're going to read verses 22 through the end of the chapter. At, at that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where, with you, have, where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, the place was called Beersheba, because both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, as we pause and we, we think about you and your character, we think about those words that Abraham used to call on you. He called you the everlasting God. And what that means for us today is, is that we are now ourselves right here in this moment calling on the same God that Abraham called on so many years ago. The same God that created Adam and Eve the same God that, that led the children of Israel with, with Moses and Joshua and, and the judges and the kings. The same God who came in the flesh as Jesus, whom, who led disciples. And we are talking to you this morning. You are everlasting. You are not bound by time. And that's really important to us this morning. It was important to Abraham. And I pray that this morning you would use the words of Scripture to speak to our hearts. I think there's many of us in this room that can identify with Abraham. We have lived in the world. We have blown our testimony too many times that we can remember. And we need a little hope this morning. We need to connect ourselves to the everlasting God, and I pray that you would do that this morning, because we live in a world that's not your friend, and if we would side with you, they're not going to be our friend. So I pray that today, Holy Spirit, you would bring the word of God alive in our hearts, that we would not just see it and understand it, but that we would live it, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's go back to verse 22. Because as we get into this text, this is really interesting to me, 
that Abimelech and Phicol, who is the commander of his army, and if you wondered if Abimelech was a powerful guy, he's so powerful that he has a general who commands his army, okay? So this guy is a pretty powerful king. And they come seeking Abraham. They come looking for Abraham. And I find that really striking because the last interaction, pretty much it ended with like, okay, let's settle this up and and you just get out of my sight, right? Let's go separate ways here. Let's just kind of, let's kind of depart and and, and let's let's not get too chummy with one another. But what's interesting is, is the statement that Abimelech would make here to Abraham. Do you see it there in verse 22? Hey, it's pretty apparent to me in watching you from afar that, that the Almighty One, God, is with you. God is with you. And, and I don't know if you understand the immensity of that, but Abraham had, had now left his encounter with Abimelech, and, and he had gone off and had a son, and he had conducted himself in such a way that it was apparent to the world around him that God was with him. Got a question for you this morning. How many of you have blown your testimony in front of the world in a big way? How many of you have done it? I mean, you have said things you shouldn't have said. You've re- overreacted to something. Maybe you, you uh, let somebody know when they cut you off in traffic what you thought of them. I mean, I could go on and on, and that's just from my own life, right? And how many of you have ever gotten to the point where you've blown it so bad with the world that you're like, I will never recover. I just need to, I need to get in the witness to protection program, <laughs> Right? Like, God, put me in your witness protection program. Get me out of here. Put me somewhere else. Like, like move me somewhere, like, to the beach in, in Florida or something, right? And yet, God doesn't do that, does he? Remember back, if you were with us, in chapter 20, Abraham got severely humbled, did he not? Severely humbled to the point that before it was all done, God says this to Abimelech, oh, by the way, Abraham's going to pray for you. Abraham's my, my mouthpiece, and he's going to pray for you. And what's interesting about that is, what's really interesting about that is, is that Abraham really, if we think about it from a spiritual point of view, was he on praying ground at that point with God? Not really. And so what he does is, is he says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do, God says to Abraham. I'm going to have you pray for this guy, Abimelech, so that you will be totally humbled and and left at a low point here. But Abraham, by God's grace, let me say that again, Abraham, by God's grace, is able to recover and live his life in such a way. Can I encourage you this morning? Can I encourage you this morning? You may have blown it this week on the job. You may have blown it with an unsafe family member. You may have blown it with, with somebody else. You may have really just dropped the ball. You haven't dropped it so far that God's grace cannot recover it. You can recover your testimony. Is it going to require that you be humble about it? Yeah, is it going to require that you have to eat a little crow? But, but here's a question that I just ponder when I, when I look at verse 22. How many people would observe our lives and say, God's with that person. God's with that person. 
there's not a lot of interaction here with Abraham and Abimelech, but, but, but Abraham is conducting himself in such a way that the world around him is noticing the Almighty One is with that guy. How many people in your office or in the place that you work, on the job site, how many people who don't even know you, don't even know your name, they look at you though and they go, there's something different about that person, God must be with him, there, there's, got, there's got to be something different. How many people in your school, teens, kids, look at you and say, there's something different, God must be with that one. I don't want to make the emphasis on what we do though. Because if I do that, we get the impression that I can just put on this extremely polished veneer, the kind that we put on on a Sunday morning. You know what I'm talking about, right? The kind of, the kind of exterior that we plaster on ourselves for a Sunday morning so we can go in church and everybody thinks that we are really superior Christians. Got news for you, there's no superior Christians in this room. We're all struggling just to get through life, are we not, church? Church, are we not? Yeah. And if we're struggling on a Sunday morning, imagine what it's like on a Friday morning after you've been in the world all week. You know, right? This isn't about us making ourselves look good. It's about God and His grace working through us, and if we're just open to Him working through us. And what grace that God would allow any of us to be a testimony for Him in this world. What grace? And so now Abraham, because of his testimony and because of God working through him, has an opportunity to interact with the world. And in thinking about this, I want to begin here with this. Let's think about what the world is trying to do. According to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we're not supposed to be conformed to the world, which tells us that the world is actively trying to do what? The world is actively trying to conform you and I. We live in a world that is actively, not, in, not passively, but actively trying to conform us. And it's trying to get us to adopt its standards, trying to get us to adopt its morals, trying to get us to adopt its ideals, its pursuits, its security, its false gods, the, the live for the here and now mentality and philosophy. The world wants to get us to conform to, in how we act, in how we think, in how we live, and in how we worship. You live in a world that's trying to shape your identity. Have you figured that out? And, and, and here's the thing. The world is not happy at all with someone who would stand up and say this. I am just a sinner saved by grace. I am here by God's good grace on this earth. I'm going to live here to please Him and to bring Him glory. The world absolutely hates that worldview. Say, PD, is there going to be a part where we get to some good news? I don't know. But now we're living in this world, right? And we're called to live for God's glory. And we're called to live in obedience. And we're called because we, we're, we recognize that we, God loved us so much. How can we not love him back by living this way? But let's be honest. It is really hard. Is it not? And so there's several ways that we respond. Some of us 
reject and withdraw from the world. We're like, ah, the world is a terrible place. Newsflash. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pull out of the world. I am just going to totally reject the world. I'm going to go buy 60 acres. You won't find it around Johnstown for a price you can afford. But I'm going to go buy 60 acres somewhere in the middle of nowhere. You could probably get land cheap up in Columbiana County right now, but it probably won't be very good. And I'm going to get on my 60 acres, and I'm just going to build a big fence, and we're just going to have family church, and we are just going to wait for God to come back. And in doing so, guess what we've done? We have totally denied that the Great Commission is in the Scriptures, haven't we? We've totally denied that, right? So that's one way we could deal with this. We could just, you know, take the ostrich approach, bury our heads in the sand and act like, you know, nothing's happening around us, we're just fine. Or secondly, and this happens to a lot of us, we can try to assimilate into the world. You know, we can be what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. We can be the salt that's lost its saltiness. We can just assimilate right into the world. We can just live the way the world lives. We can look like the world. We can, we can kind of pursue the same pursuits that the world pursues. We, we can go through life and not make any waves at all. And in doing so, be disobedient, right? Or we could do this. We could actually engage in the world that we live in, remain distinct, and allow the gospel to be an offense. Let me say that again. Allow the gospel to be an offense. I think some of us think that as Christians, we are called to be offensive. I, I do. I think we do. I see you guys on social media. I know. If you don't, you better block me because I watch you. I do. And I think some of us think that we're called to be offensive in the world that we live in. What is to be the offense? Are Christians to be offense or is the gospel that we carry to be the offense? What is it, church? The gospel is. The gospel is quite offensive to the world. We don't need to add to it. So we can engage and remain distinct and remain Christ-like. Now, I know that in the scriptures it says this, that friendship with the world is enmity or it's, it's to put ourselves, you know, in, in direct opposition to God. But, but here we have an example here of Abimelech and Abraham doing something that I would suggest to you that we really ought to sit up and take notice of. Notice in verse 23 that after Abimelech says, you know, I see that God is with you. Now, he says, now, therefore, because I see your testimony Swear to me here by God, by, by the same God that he says is with him, swear to me by this God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land wherever you sojourned. Now, there is a reason why he wants some honesty from Abraham, isn't there? Abraham has proven himself not to be always honest, right? But what he is basically asking for here is a, a treaty. And the treaty has two parts. It's going to basically be, it says a friendship treaty and it's a non-aggression treaty is what it is. We're, you're, not going to get, you're not going to get ugly with me. I'm not going to get ugly with you. We're going to coexist in this place. 
I see that God's with you. I don't want to make you my enemy, and so I'm going to make you my friend. Now, he could have some ulterior motives. Maybe he sees that God is blessing Abraham, and he's like, I want some of that blessing, so I'm going to cozy up to this guy. I don't know. Maybe he also knows the account of chapter 14, where he knows that Abraham and his household are pretty powerful. He has some pretty bad dudes in his house, right? Remember chapter 14? He, he has 300 or so of those guys, and they went up and they took on a five-king coalition, and they rescued Lot and all of Sodom and Gomorrah. But I also see here that he just wants some peace. He wants some peace. And what you see here is, in verse 24, Abraham agrees to it. And I think if we saw that happen in our world today, where we saw a a well-known Christian make peace with the world, many of us in our judgmental state would be like, that man is a compromiser. Come on, how many of you would feel that in your heart? None of you are self-righteous? I'm the only self-righteous person in the world, in this room. We would look at that and we would say, Abraham, dude, let me have a talk with you. He's a Philistine. He's a bad dude. You can't be friends with him. But here's the thing. There's a mutual respect between the two and they form this agreement. And, And can I say this to you in all love and sincerity? It is possible to have mutual respect and friendship with people who are unregenerate. Let me say it again. It is possible to have mutual interest and mutual respect with people who are unregenerate in the world. When you read the gospel accounts, not every person that Jesus interacted with was a believer you find him doing some pretty kind things for people who are unbelievers, don't you? You also find him doing some things that aren't so kind, like overturning money changers' tables and calling out Pharisees and and things like that. But you find that there is a respect that's given. And too often I fear for a lot of us as Christians, we're not motivated at being and living at peace with others around us. You don't know how bad politics are. Oh yeah, I do. I just choose to shut them out. We got another election cycle coming. Are you ready for it? It's disgusting. Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers. Did he say blessed are the warmongers? Church, did he say that? Who did he say? Blessed are the peacemakers. So, okay, if we leave at this point, you can just rip me all week, right? Pastor Dan is saying we should lay, no, that's not what I'm saying. I want to talk about peace with the world on correct terms, not on wrong terms. Because there's too many believers in the world today that are making peace with the world on the wrong terms. Like, oh, okay, so you believe that anybody can be any gender that they want, they can be however they want to portray themselves, that's fine, I'll make peace with you, I agree with you. That's not agreement on truth, is it? It's not. In this case, Abimelech and Abraham can find agreement on two things that that are big, big ideas in the world that we live in today. 
And the idea here is there's a mutual desire for justice and fairness. How many of you want to live in a fair world? How many of you want to live in a world where justice is upheld? I do. Abraham and Abimelech have that mutual interest. And that's a hot topic in the world that we live in today. And let's just talk about this. Is God a God of justice? Yeah. Is he the God of justice the way our world defines justice? No. But God upholds justice. He is just. He's the embodiment of justness. And you and I should, should seek to uphold biblical justice ourselves. And we should have a biblical view of what justice is. In this case, it's fairness over who owns what. Is that a pretty important thing in the world we live in today? Yeah. Ownership has always been a part of the world. Ever since there were things in the world, there's always been a thing about ownership of those things, right? And it's about fairness over a well. And what you see is, in verse 25, Abraham doesn't look to be very friendly, does he? <laughs> the English word is, he reproved him. He literally went to Abimelech's house, use your divine imagination with me, knocked on his tent door and said to him, hey, we've got a, we've got a situation here. And here's the situation. Your servants have commandeered a well that my servants dug. Now, what do we know about Abraham? Abraham was powerful enough that if he wanted to get that well back, could he have just taken it right back? Could he have just gone and powerfully and said, that's my well, and if you don't like it, i got 300 guys that are around the corner and we can take care of this. He had made an agreement with Abimelech, though. And notice how Abimelech responds. It's interesting to me. How many of us assume that the world is always going to do the wrong thing? Do, do we not assume that? <laughs> you know, in, in the ideas of fairness and justice, like the world is always going to do the wrong thing, right? In this case, Abraham does what he's supposed to do. He comes and he points out the issue, and Abimelech does something that we would not expect the world to do. Look at verse 26. He says, I don't know who's done this thing. You haven't told me? I haven't heard about this until today. And basically, the idea there is, in his language, is, okay, I, this is the first I've heard of it, but let's get to the bottom of this. Let's get to the bottom of this. And Abraham as a sign of good faith to ratify this treaty, goes over and above. And in the last time that he was with Abimelech, he received a bunch of stuff from Abimelech. This time, he's the one bringing the gifts, is he not? And so they together attack the problem instead of attacking one another. We live in a world, we live in a world we absolutely are right smack dab in the, in, the, in the middle of a world that is instantly going and attacking one another, right? There's a problem, and what does the world do? We don't even care about the problem. We care. It's, it's our opportunity now to make judgment calls about the character of the person who's involved in the problem, right? You are a total idiot. You are just a moron. You're stupid. And then we put it all over social media. Don't ever buy from this company. Don't ever go there or whatever. And, and instead of just going to the person, right? 
It's the kind of world we live in. They came to an agreement. They communicated back and forth. That's an amazing thing, right? They dialogued. They actually talked it through. And they, and they got a resolution. And what we will find out as we go forward is that this is a basis for a good relationship for many years. Abimelech's going to have a son who's going to take over the title of being Abimelech. Okay, and, and Abraham's going to have a son who's going to take over being a patriarch, and guess what we're going to find later on in Scripture? Because of what happens here, they're able to get along when there's other disputes that come up. Now, Abraham isn't making an endorsement of Abimelech and, and, and saying this, that Abimelech is a perfect guy. What he's saying is, is you know what, though? I'm going to be a good neighbor, and I'm going to be friendly to the people that, that God has placed in my life here. And what Abraham teaches us here in this is, is that conflict with the world doesn't have to be contentious. <laughs> this is a natural conflict that comes up. You know, maybe Abimelech's servant didn't understand. Maybe he was new on the job. We don't know what happened here. But anyway, a group of these guys are like, you know what, this is going to be our well. And Abraham's servant's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got the blisters to prove I dug this well. And our conflicts with the world do not have to be contentious. So that gets settled up. And they make the oath in verse 31. They make a covenant in verse 32. And Abimelech and Phicol are like, okay, we've got this settled. We're going to go back home. And then Abraham does something really interesting. He plants a tree. He plants a memorial tree right there in, in Beersheba at the well. It's, it's, it's kind of like a memorial. Instead of an altar this time, he plants a tree. And the Bible says there in verse 33, he called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. The everlasting God. El Olam. El Olam, the everlasting God. In other words, saying, He has always been the Lord God. And it speaks to the fact that He's immutable. And for those of you who struggle with English like me, that means He never changes. It speaks to the fact that God never changes. He never wavers. His character is always the same. And it's really interesting at this point that Abraham would acknowledge that. And if you juxtaposition that with just Abraham himself, has Abraham changed many times in his life? He's run hot and cold, hasn't he? Kind of like what you and I do, right? We run hot and cold. We get it right some days. Some days we totally screw it up. And, and we, we totally overreact to the world around us. And we totally give in. And we get conformed to the world. But God consistently stays the same. And Abraham recognizes this. I've changed, but my God hasn't. 
And one of the things I want to point out to you is, hopefully, if you've been with us the whole time that we've been in Genesis, we have seen, because Genesis is the book of beginnings, it's the book of first, we have seen numerous times where God has been revealed to us in different names in the scripture. Just in the life of Abraham alone, back in chapter 14, verse 19, he revealed himself to Abraham as El Elyon, or the God Most High, the creator, possessor of all, the all-powerful one. In chapter 15, verse 1, he reveals himself to Abraham as, I'm your shield, and I'm your great reward. In chapter 17 and verse 1, he's the El Shaddai, the Almighty One. And now here, he's El Elam, the everlasting God. To Hagar, he's the God who sees, the God who hears. And at this point, it might be really tempting to read this stuff and see it with academic eyes, like we're reading a history book. Now, I know a lot of you don't like history. I love history. I'll read a history book. I can read all about history, but history, when I read it, I just read it for knowledge. I read it, I read it to, like, oh, that's interesting. That's really cool. I wish I'd have been there to see that, or I wonder what was going on in their heads when this was happening, that kind of thing. But I don't usually read history to transform me. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know, I know science books don't transform me. They bore me silly. Math doesn't transform me. But God's word is written to us to transform us, to change us. And so when we read about how God deals with his people and how he doesn't change and how he's faithful, we have to pause. When we see how he's merciful, when we see how he punishes sin, when we see how he's led Abraham all the way, we can expect the same from him today with us. Let that sink in. The same God who led Abraham in all of these circumstances, the same God who didn't give up on him, the same God who saw Abraham go back and forth like he's flopping in the wind, he doesn't change, which means he's the exact same God for us today. He's the everlasting one. And every time that Abram walked out of his tent when he lived in Beersheba, and many times he would come, he would come and go from Beersheba, but Beersheba becomes like an anchoring point for Abraham. Every time he walks out and he sees that tree, he's reminded, my God never changes. My God never changes. I change, but my God doesn't. And I want to point out something to you because I don't get to preach next week and I'm really upset about it because this next week is one of my very favorite texts in all of the Bible. But he's going to need a God who doesn't change because this God is going to test him in a really big way. Some of you are peeking ahead. It's like you're on your Netflix subscription. You're like looking, oh, that's what happens up there. Okay. Yeah. What's that? Guilty. Guilty, yeah. Abraham's going to need this promise in a big way because God is going to ask him to sacrifice Isaac. But before we get there next week, let's take something home with us. Because your God doesn't change, you can approach him and you can trust him. You can approach him with confidence. You never have to be concerned about God's mood. 
Kids in the room, how many of you have to be concerned about dad's mood? None of you want to, how many of you have to be concerned about mom's mood? Mm, yeah. You're going to really be concerned now, Michaela. Mm. You fell into my trap, okay? You, you know, we get worried about, you know, how's my boss going to take it today? Have sales been good? If sales have been bad, I'm not going in and asking for the raise. You've been there, right? You know, you never have to sit there and be like in, in total fear or hopelessness and say, you know, I wonder if this is a good day to approach God. He's the same. You can go with confidence. You and I change. We get moody. We get irritable. We get despondent. We get happy. We get incredibly sad. God never changes. His, his, his demeanor is always the same. And so I want to take you to a psalm to close this morning. Go with me to Psalm 90. Moses wrote about this everlasting one. He wrote about this everlasting one in Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He, he, this is what Moses is saying. He looks back all over the history of Israel, right? And, and he says this, it has always been you, God. You have been the place of shelter and safety for us. It's always been you. Look up here before we go further. If you're a believer in this room, who is the one person in all of the universe that you have been able to depend on every time? Has it been the Almighty One? Has it been the Everlasting One? He's never let you down, has He? He may have taken you places you didn't want to go. You may have been a little more uncomfortable than you wanted to have been. You may have been, you may have been doubting the whole time, but has He always been faithful to you? So, like Moses said, you can say this, God, God, you have been my place of safety. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From, from before there was time until, until there will be no more time, you have and you will always exist as God. Think about the things that we put our security in. Think about it. Look, how many of you put security in your house? I mean, when there's, when there's a storm raging, how many of you are trusting that the roof's going to hold? One day the roof is going to what? It's going to cave in. How many of you put confidence in your bank account or your ability to go out and earn money? One day you're going to lose your health and you're not going to be able to do it anymore, right? Right? How many of us put confidence in our health? I have been reasonably healthy up to this point in my life. I have no reason to think I won't be. And then God just like, boom, interrupts that. This life is temporal. It's not built to last. I know that was the big thing about Ford trucks. The funny thing is, you see Ford trucks in junkyards all the time, right? along with Chevys and Dodges and Toyotas and Hondas and everything else. But Ford trucks were built to last. 
Nothing in this life is built to last. And in the end, if it does make it to the end, it's just going to get burned up, right? But from everlasting to everlasting, God is the same. And if we had time, I'd unpack this whole thing, but go with me down to verse 12. Here's what Moses is saying to you and I. Here's Moses' recommendation to us. In light of the fact that we have a God who never changes, who's everlasting to everlasting, and we're changing, and we're always moody, and we're irritable, and we go from happy to sad in a heartbeat. Here's what he says to us. Verse 12. God, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to realize and own up to the fact that we are not everlasting. Say it with me. I'm not everlasting. Say it. Yet, don't we live like we are? Don't we think like we are? We're not everlasting. He is. We're very finite. And we are called to use the finite time that we have here very wisely. And part of the way that we use it wisely is in the way that we live in the world that God has placed us in. We can choose to complain about it. We can choose to, to be disgruntled about it. Or we can choose to just like, okay, God, this is where you have placed us for such a time as this. We're going to do our best to represent you well here and make sure that you get the glory. Something for you to think about this week, because I don't have time. That clock moved really fast this morning. hate that clock. But consider this this week. How does knowing and understanding the names of God, just some of the ones that we've seen here in Genesis, how does knowing the names of God actually keep me from being conformed to the world if I plug into those? There's a correlation here. The fact that he's all-powerful means that I don't have to worry about the powers of the world around me because greater is the one who is in me than the one who's in the world, right? That's just one to consider. <laughs> the fact that, that he's my reward means that I don't have to look to the world for my reward. I don't have to look to the world to tell me what should be my reward. I have the best reward, and that's God himself. The fact that he's my shield means that I don't have to go out of my way to protect myself. I just have to use my wits that God's given me, and I have to rest in the fact that he's going to be my shield. There's so many implications in this. Maybe you're that person who has really botched your testimony. Can I say this to you today? If there was hope for Abraham, and I know we put Abraham way up here, Abraham was a liar, just like many of us are, right? And if God could restore Abraham's testimony, I believe that the same everlasting God is willing to restore our testimonies too. And it begins with today by doing the right thing. <laughs> it begins by today purposing to live for his glory. But all these names of God mean nothing to you if he's not your God, If he's not, if Christ isn't your savior, the, the, the names of God that, that matter the most to you are that God is judge. Because you're going to be judged in your sins. And so this morning, if you don't know 
and have a personal relationship with the one true God, I would beg of you, today is the day. Today is the day to know him and love him and, and have him be your everlasting God. Father, what grace that you would utilize a man who willfully lied numerous times to protect himself. And before we cast too many stones at him, many of us in this room would have done and have done the same thing or worse. I pray that we would learn from Abraham's testimony that, that, that it's your grace that restores our testimonies to the world around us and that we can live at peace with the world around us. Forgive us for always looking for a fight. Forgive us of that, God. May we uphold your glory and your kingdom and, 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 your, and your agenda higher than our own, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.